Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to us by the power of your word, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding, cause the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, that you'd set us free into a higher dimension of your life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, most of you know it, is in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16 and 17. You know, he faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul says, I pray day and night that God would give you two things, one wisdom, two revelation. And it struck me today that it's interesting that Paul puts it in that order, wisdom and then revelation. God gives you wisdom and then he gives you revelation. And it seems like the order should be opposite because wisdom is the ability to know what to do. Revelation is the ability to know what you have. Paul says he gives us his spirit so that we might know the things that we have freely received from God. Until we get revelation, we don't know what God has given us. God has to give us revelation to see the power that we have. And he makes it explicit here when he gives the three things that revelation tells us. Revelation causes us to know the hope of his calling. Revelation causes us to know the exceeding greatness of his power, or the glorious, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And revelation causes us to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. So before God gives us revelation, we don't see the power that we have. Before God gives us revelation, we don't see the inheritance that we have. Before God gives us revelation, we don't see the hope of his calling. We don't see the end of the matter. Can you imagine God giving you wisdom and telling you what to do before he's given you revelation to see that you have the power to do it? And that's how God worked. Moses, go stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He hadn't shown him that he had any power yet. God always calls you to do something before he reveals to you that you have the power to do it. And what tends to happen is that we reject the wisdom of the Lord because it calls us to step out in faith and believe that if I take a step towards obedience when God gives me wisdom, then I'm going to receive revelation to see that I actually have the power to perform what he's calling me to do. Well, I want to focus on verse 19 here. The, the, the third aspect that revelation unveils for us, the first is the hope of his calling. When we're talking about the hope of his calling, we're talking about the fact that when God calls us, he has an end in mind. He has an expected end. And the hope is that he calls us in the condition we're in, but he doesn't intend on leaving us in that condition. Right? He loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. So there's always a hope to his calling because we're in process. We're being formed into the image of Christ. We're being conformed according to the knowledge of his will. And we're proving what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. God is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? We're in process. We're in process. So there's a hope to his calling. And then he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Revelation opens our eyes to see the riches of his glorious inheritance. And an inheritance is something that you receive when you're mature. So once again, there's a process. When we're babes or infants in Christ, we're tossed to and fro by every wind. Right? We're moved by every wave. A little wind of discouragement blows and we're discouraged. A little wind of encouragement blows and we're encouraged. 
Wind of adversity blows and we feel like everything's falling apart. Wind of good fortune blows and we feel like everything's coming together. We're tossed to and fro by every wind and it's a sign of our spiritual immaturity. We're still infants or babes in Christ. But as we begin to learn how to speak the truth in love, we grow up in all things into him who is the head. We begin to mature in Christ and as we become mature sons, he begins to release greater and greater portions of our inheritance. The inheritance is always there. You always possess it. You just don't manifest it until you become mature. And so we can't even see the glorious inheritance that we have until God begins to give us revelation. But once again, it's progressive. He begins to show us that we're growing into a greater manifestation of the inheritance that he's given us. And he begins to open our eyes. I remember when I was young, people used to tell me that I looked and sounded and walked like my father, but I couldn't see it. But the older I got, the more I began to see clearly that I am a manifestation of my father. You know, we both are bald-headed, and we are the same height, and we're close to the same weight, and we walk the same way, and we have the same laugh, and we talk very similar to one another. We have a similar kind of humor. I can see all of that now, but I couldn't see it when I was young and immature. Now, from the moment I was conceived in the womb, I had all of that likeness in me. But I had to mature to begin to manifest it. When you're looking at immature, lukewarm, uh, compromising believers, that those lukewarm, compromising believers have all, the same inheritance that the mightiest, most mature believer has. They just don't see it yet because they're immature. And so instead of looking at them and judging them, which is what we typically do, we should simply look at them and say, God, give them revelation so they can begin to see the, glo- the riches of their glorious inheritance because they're not acting like their father right now. But the likeness of their father is in them. Help them to grow up into the likeness of their father. And as we begin to pray that way, we begin to believe that way for ourselves as well because how many know that there's some areas in your life where you don't, you're not acting like your daddy either? You hearing me? Well, the third aspect, Paul says, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul says, revelation opens our eyes to begin to see the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. How many know that you and I don't wake up in the morning typically feeling like we are filled with an exceedingly great power? How often do you feel exceedingly great power? How often do you drive down the road feeling like you could just command a mountain to move out of your way and it would move? Do you ever have, have you ever had an anointed moment? You know what I mean by an anointed moment? An anointed moment is a moment of knowledge when you know suddenly what God has anointed you and empowered you to do. It's a moment of power where you stretch out your hand and do it, where you take a step in that direction and do it. Anointed moments are not just for mature believers. Anyone can have an anointed moment if you would just begin to believe. So many of us have never had an anointed moment because we just don't believe for one because we don't believe we're anointed. Let me just settle it for you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are anointed. Because if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. But if you belong to him, you have the spirit of Christ. So when we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not separating between the haves and the have-nots. We're, ta- we're simply separating between the believes and the believe-nots. That is, the ones who manifest the power of God in their lives, they believe 
because they've received revelation so that God has begun to show you what you have. But those who are not manifesting the power of God doesn't mean that they don't have the power of God. If they are believers in Jesus Christ, the, all of the power, the same power that said, let there be light and there was light dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. You just don't see it because you're immature. You don't see it because you're young in your faith. And as we begin to mature in Christ, our eyes open more and more and more and more. Can you imagine if you were fully aware of how much power dwells in you? If you were fully conscious of the power, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Well, Paul says the, there's only one way that I can think in this passage to describe that power. He said it's exceedingly great. It's exceedingly great. That's what the New King James power, the New King James Version says. It's an exceedingly great power. I looked up that phrase in the Greek. The word exceedingly is the word hooperbalo, hooperbalo, hooperbalo. Hooper, the prefix hooper means super. It means above. It means transcending, it means over, it means beyond. Super, or exceeding, or over, or transcending, or beyond. And the word balo means to throw, or to cast. It's overthrowing, overcasting, transcending, overreaching greatness. The exceeding greatness in other words, this greatness, God takes it and throws it over every other form of greatness. Any other form of greatness that is manifested in this natural world, God says, I've put a power in you that I've taken and cast over or thrown over every other kind of greatness. I've, I've just thrown it over the top of it so that the greatness that is in you transcends every other form of greatness in your life. When you are fully aware of that transcending greatness in your life, you never look at anything else in your life and say it's great. You never look at a trial and say, I'm going through a great trial. You call it a light affliction, which is but for a moment. You ever hear Paul say, I was going through a great trial. He says, no, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, Paul didn't know what I was going through. Well, let me tell you something. What Paul was going through was twice, was ten times worse than you ever been whipped with a cat of nine tails? You ever been beaten and left for dead? You ever spent a night and a day in the deep? <laughs> so, but Paul, how can you call it a light affliction? Because I'm conscious of what is actually exceedingly great. I'm in pain. And I might even be in exceedingly great pain, but I'm so conscious of the exceedingly great power that my consciousness of the power is greater than my consciousness of the pain. And spiritual immaturity is when your consciousness of anything that's going on in this external material world is greater than your consciousness of the power of God that dwells in you who believe. That power is so great that it raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
That power is so great that it rolled away the stone and put the soldiers to sleep. That power is so great that it revived the dead body of Jesus and glorified him. And God took that same power that raised Jesus from the dead and raised him up and sat him at the right hand of God and he put it inside of you. Paul said we have this treasure in vessels of clay. And it's funny, when we read that passage, we go on from there to talk about we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We forgot that he said it's a treasure. The only thing we see is, yeah, but I'm hard-pressed on every side. I'm not crushed, but I'm hard-pressed on every side. I'm persecuted. I'm not abandoned, but I'm persecuted. I'm, I'm struck down. How you doing today? Oh, I've been struck down. I'm not destroyed, but I'm struck down. We focus on the hard-pressed, on the persecuted, on the perplexed, on the struck down. But, we don't, but Paul's focus was not on that. His focus was on the treasure that we possess in, in vessels of clay. That treasure is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer in Jesus Christ. That power and presence of the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Jesus Christ. And Paul says it's exceedingly great. It's exceedingly great. And that means that there's a uh, the process is God has to begin to magnify that power in our lives. And actually, we can't, we can't wait for him to magnify it over a 60-year period. He's got to magnify that power every day. In other words, if you could look at the full greatness of that power, it's so far beyond what you are presently experiencing and what you are presently manifesting that our, that our threshold must increase every day in order for us to grow towards it, or in order for us to even have a chance of growing anywhere towards it. In other words, the problem is that we become so religious that when we begin to seek the Lord and pray or go into our word or go to the, the house of God and worship with other believers, we no longer expect anything great. We don't expect anything exceedingly great. We expect something common. And that is definition of being religious. You've become religious when your God has become predictable. I'm a tweet it, you retweet it. <laughs> You've become religious. When your God becomes predictable. In other words, when you go into your prayer closet and you already know what God's going to do and not do. You go in expecting that you're going to read a few scriptures. Say a few prayers. At best, feel a little tingle. Maybe shed a couple of tears. But that's, that's it. That's all you expect. Shundai a few bow ties. But that's all you expect. If that's all I expect, I don't expect anything greater than what I experienced yesterday. When I go to the house of God, all I expect is what I've experienced in the past. And if all you expect is what you've experienced in the past, you're no longer serving a God whose power is exceedingly great. You're no longer waiting, expecting him to take that power, that greatness, and throw it over every form of greatness. 
You've become religious. Faith demands that I always expect God to outdo himself. I always expect God to outdo himself. Faith demands. Walking in faith demands that I wake up every morning believing that yesterday's ceiling is today's ground floor. What God is looking for in this season is a people that wakes up every morning making a decision to believe that yesterday's ceiling is today's ground floor. And I don't care how great yesterday's ceiling was. I don't care how high it was. See, this is why every revival in history stopped. Because the people came to a point where they said, this is great. This is exceedingly great. And they stopped pressing for something beyond it. I don't care how great any revival in history has been. My God is greater. I don't care how much he did in the past. You know, in this last season, my heart began to cry out for things that I experienced in the beginning of my faith. My heart began to cry out for things that I saw and things that I experienced for God to revive them and restore them to me. And my, my, the Lord spoke to me today as, as, as I was driving here. The Lord spoke to me and said, stop praying for those things to be restored. I want you to begin to see those things as your ground floor, not as your season, as your ceiling. I want to take you beyond. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that I could ever ask or think. God has no ceiling. And neither should the believer who has been conformed to his image. God has no ceiling. The problem is we have ceilings made of concrete. I mean, we've got ceilings made of cedar. Made of basalt stone. We've got ceilings that are so thick that even God can't get through them. And God has no ceiling. He has no ceiling. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body... I live by the faith of the Son of God. I know the NIV says by faith in the Son of God. If you look at it in the Greek, it's a genitive. By the faith of the Son of God. The life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Meaning it's Jesus' faith, not mine. I live by His faith. The faith of the Son of God is the way... Paul says, the the way I live in the body is I just make a decision. I'm going to believe the way Jesus believed. I look at the faith of the Son of God. What was he believing for? I'm going to begin to believe for those things. That's the faith of the Son of God. How was Jesus believing? I'm going to begin to believe that way. What was he believing for? I'm going to begin to believe for the things that Jesus believed for. That's the faith of the Son of God. You see? And so if you look at the life of Christ, what was he believing for? He had no ceiling. You ever see Jesus walk into a situation and say, oh, Father, this is, you know, okay, uh, Father, this one's out of my league. I've just, I've just overstepped my anointing. This, this exceeds the authority that you've given me. He had no ceiling. If the wind and the waves need rebuking, he just believed he had the authority to rebuke them. That's the faith of the Son of God. Remember, now see, we read that passage where Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. 
And we overly Christologize it. Meaning we see it as an expression of of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus saw it as an example of what he expected his disciples to do. Why? Because he comes out, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and then looks at them and says, why is it that you have no faith? Meaning, if you had faith the way I have faith, you'd command these winds and waves to be quiet and they would obey you. Why is it that you have no faith? And the disciples still didn't get it. When he walks away, they say, who is this man? Meaning this is exclusive to the life of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm trying to teach you how to believe the way I believe. Remember when he cursed the fig tree. The disciples, the next morning, they say, Lord, great news. The tree that you cursed, it died. And he's going, no, duh. But notice he doesn't say yes and then go into a Christology lesson. Because I'm the son of the father, because I'm the living word, whatever I speak will come to pass. That's who I am. No, he looks at them and says, have faith in God. For if any of you does not doubt, but speaks and believes that what he says will come to pass, you'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you'll say to this mountain, be lifted up and cast into the sea. Do you see what Jesus just did? He lifted up their faith to a greater thing. He said, I cursed a fig tree. You're going to move a mountain. He expected an increase. In other words, Jesus, when he began to work his works, he wasn't saying to his disciples, this is your ceiling. He was saying, this is your ground floor. This is your ground floor, disciples. The same power that the Father's given me, he's giving to you. you got to see what I'm doing as your ground floor. You don't believe me? Jesus said it explicitly in John chapter 14, verse 12. Explicitly. He said, he who believes in me, the works will he do, the works I do, will he do also. In other words, he says, okay, come stand on my ground floor. The works that I do, you're going to do. So first of all, if you believe in me, you're going to come stand on my ground floor. You're not going to see my works as your ceiling. First, you'll see it as your ground floor. But then he says, and greater works than these will he do. Now Jesus takes us up to his ceiling and says, and this becomes your ground floor. Greater works than these will he do because I go to the father. Let me ask you, when was the last time you believed the father to work a work through you that was greater than what you saw in the ministry of Jesus? Until you would believe for something greater than what Jesus did, you don't believe this verse. Greater works. God wants to remove that ceiling from over your head. And it's okay to have a ceiling because we're finite beings. We'll never be ceilingless until we stand in eternity with God. But you know what we can do? We can wake up every morning and make a decision to make yesterday's ceiling today's ground floor. I've got to, I've got to rise up above where I was yesterday. I've got to believe God to do something greater today than I saw him do yesterday. I've got to. And whenever I come into the house of God, I've got to believe for something greater than I've seen. Because if I don't, I'm simply religious. God wants to set us free from the spirit of religion tonight. And he wants to lift us up so that we begin to believe. Because God has so many greater things in store for you. 
He wants to take you beyond where you've been, but what he's asking us to do is to begin to believe it. Now, specifically, this applies to your experience with God, your personal experience with God, your daily walk with God. You've got to begin to believe God to do more in your life on a daily basis than you've seen him do before. When we're talking about the fullness of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, all we're talking about is the bubbling up and overflow of what you have already received. You are believers in Jesus Christ, and that means you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. He lives on the inside of you. The problem is when you start to think in terms of lack. If you think you don't have it and you believe you don't have it, God can't even give you revelation. But when you step out in faith and begin to believe, no, it's already in me. Lord, show it to me. That is the pattern of the new creation. In the old creation, God creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. He speaks and says, let there be light, and there's light. He speaks, let there be a sun and a moon and stars. And the sun speaks and separates light from darkness. Speaks and fills the sea with fish and fills the land with cattle. In the new creation, God does not speak and create out of nothing. In the new creation, he says, what do you have? What do you have? Remember Elisha in first, in second Kings four, the woman comes and says, my husband died, but he was a righteous man, but he left us in debt. The prophet says, what can I do for you? What do you have in your home? She says, I just got a little bit of oil and oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. She says, the problem is all I have is a little bit of oil. All I've got is a little bit of anointing. I don't have as much oil as the people in my neighborhood have. I don't have as much anointing as the people around me have. Other people are so much more powerful than me. And the prophet says, that's why you're in debt, because you believe that you're less than the people around you. All you see is a little bit of oil, but if your eyes of faith would open up, you'd see that God can take that little bit of oil and multiply it to fill your whole household go get bigger vessels and she goes out and gets bigger vessels it was already in her house the miracle is our, the listen the recipe the ingredients for the miracle are already in your house moses what's that in your hand it's just a stick I've been carrying it around for years. Moses, what you did not know is that years ago, I already put in your hand the power to defeat Egypt, to lead Israel out of the, out of the land of Egypt, to part the Red Sea. And throughout the whole Exodus experience, God had to remind Moses again and again and again, it's already in your hand. Cried out, Lord, what do I do? Stretch out that stick over the, over the, over the river. And he stretches it out over the, the river and it turns to blood. Even when they come to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army's coming, the Red Sea's here. Moses is weeping before the Lord, crying out, Lord, what do I do? I don't have anything. I don't have the power to do. Moses, shut up. Look at the stick I gave you and stretch it out. Why are you crying to me when I already put it in your hand? God had to remind him again and again, it's in your hand. It's in your hand. Stretch it out. He stretches out the stick and the water's part. I'm telling you, are waiting for God to put something in your hand. I'm telling you, it's already in your hand. You're waiting for God to give you a new anointing when he's already given you enough anointing to, to he's already given you enough anointing to set captives free and to break chains of bondage and to open prison doors. He's given you eno enough anointing to open blind eyes, to proclaim freedom to captives. He's given you all of the anointing you need. 
The only thing you need is wisdom to know what to do with it and revelation to see that you've got it. Wisdom to know what to do with it and revelation to see that you've already got it. You've got it. It's already in you. If you believe in Jesus, you're filled with it. You're full to overflowing. You can't get any more full of it. But there's a difference between possession and manifestation. In order to manifest what's in you, you got to come to faith and begin to believe. You need revelation so that you begin to see. And then you need faith so that you can begin to believe. You can begin to believe. You can begin to believe. And all of a sudden, Paul says to Timothy, remember to fan into flames. The gift that I've given, the gift that you've received through the laying on of my hand. I can just imagine little Timothy writing a letter to Paul saying, I don't have the anointing to lead this church. I don't have the power to lead this church. I just feel so weak. And Paul just writes back to him and says, then just start fanning into flames what's already in you. He didn't say, oh, I better hurry up and come and give you the anointing. He says, no, 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 no. Fan it into flames. It's already been given to you. You just got to fan it into flames. And that means that there's at least an ember there. there. There's an ember. All God has to do is just breathe on that ember a little bit. And you just need some kindling, which is faith. And, and I'm not just talking about the passive faith. Faith is active. There's a sense in which faith is a work. The Jews asked Jesus, what do we do to work the works that God requires? And Jesus said, believe on the one he sent. This is the work that God requires is believing. It takes work to believe. Why? Because every devil in hell is attacking your faith. And so Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You're not battling the devil. You're simply fighting to continue to stand in faith. You're making a decision. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. And listen, if it looks like a setback, don't take a step back. Get ready for your comeback. I'm telling you i don't care what it looks like you make a decision and so many of us have had setbacks of faith setbacks of faith because we believed god to do something and it blew up in our face we proclaimed that god was going to do something and it all fell apart we fervently believed it and it all came to nothing listen i don't care if that happens a thousand times you get up and believe again you get up and say but but today is a new day and yesterday's ceiling is today's ground floor and god is lifting me up to a higher place Listen, and this is what God wants to do tonight. Tonight, God wants to release the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of you, some of you haven't manifested the gift of tongues. Let me tell you something. Every believer in Jesus has the gift of tongues. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually has all the gifts. The fact of the matter is you actually never possess a gift of the Spirit. They all belong to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit manifests them through the believers as we come to faith. Any believer can manifest any gift of the Spirit if we're walking in faith and obedience, if our ears are open to hear what God wants to do. Specifically, I believe that every believer in Jesus Christ needs the gift of tongues. Why do we need the gift of tongues? Because Paul said whoever prays in a tongue builds himself up or edifies himself. You know, when you feel like you've been struck down, when you have the gift of tongues, you can go into your prayer closet and build yourself up. 
I'm telling you that there have been times when I've gone through a struggle that has defied my understanding, when I didn't even have the the English words to pray. I didn't have the human words to pray, but I'd go into my prayer closet and pray and pray in tongues. I'd pray in the spirit and all of a sudden the windows of heaven would open and I knew I broke through something even though I didn't even know what I had broken through. Sometimes I come out of there after praying an hour in tongues and say, it's done. My wife say, what's done? I say, I don't know, but whatever it is, it's done. I don't know what I was feeling or what was coming against me or what was happening, but I know it's done. Why? Because the Holy Spirit begins to make intercession through me with word, with groans that words cannot express. I don't know what to pray for as I ought, but the Spirit helps in my weakness and begins to pray according to the will of the Father. And I want to see every believer in Jesus Christ raised up to that place where you can begin to pray according to the will of the Father. But not only that, I want God to take you into a new place of experience in His presence, a a place where you're filled with the power of God, a place where you're overwhelmed by the power of God. You know, so many people have a problem with the phenomenon of being slain in the spirit. I don't know why people get slain in the flesh all the time and nobody cares. You know what it means to be slain in the flesh? When you're slain in the spirit, the Holy Spirit overwhelms your physical body and you lose all of your strength. You're now fully under the power of God. When you get slain in the flesh, the flesh overtakes your physical body and you you lose all your strength. Now you're completely under the power of the flesh. Believers get slain in the flesh when they start fooling around with pornography. And now you're stuck there for for weeks and months and can't get out of it. Why? You're slain in the flesh. You're on the floor. You know, in, 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 in New Philadelphia Church, one young man got slain in the spirit on Tuesday night. And he said, I was on the floor. And I kept trying to get up, but I could not get up. It was like God had pinned me to the floor. You know, when you're slain in the flesh, I hear people say all the time, I tried to get up, but I couldn't get up. I was pinned to the floor. I was down in that pit and I couldn't get up. You know what? If the flesh can take all your power away, I need to see God take all of my power away. I need at least as much of the power of God. I've seen people get so full of the Holy Spirit that, you know, one one young lady in New Philadelphia, uh, uh, I had a Tuesday night service at the university there. Seventy university students came. One young lady, one student, she came to the altar. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. She couldn't stop speaking in tongues for the rest of the night. I mean, we went out to dinner, and the, the waiter came and said, what would you like to order? She couldn't stop speaking in tongues. We're leaving, and she's just walking around speaking in tongues. She couldn't speak her language for the rest of the night. She was so overtaken by the power of God that all she could experience is the power of God. All she could say is, it's the Holy Ghost in power, and it's keeping me alive. I'm talking about being consciously aware of the presence and power of God. I'm saying that every believer in Jesus, I'm not just talking about faith. You know, so often when we talk about walking in faith, in our minds and hearts, what we're really talking about is we don't have anything. Nothing is happening. You know, like when you don't have any money, you're completely broke. Oh, no, I'm just walking by faith. That means you ain't got no money. As soon as we say walking in faith, we're talking about lack, you know. How's your, how's your marriage doing? Well, it doesn't look good in the natural, but I'm just believing. I'm walking by faith. How's your fight? How's things going on in your job? Well, it looks like everything's falling apart, but I'm walking by faith. And yes, that is a form of walking in faith. There's a time and a place for that. But I'm saying even when you come through the, the struggle and the trial and God gives you everything you need and he breaks through, you're still walking by faith because you're walking by faith to believe that God is going to take yesterday's ceiling and make it today's ground floor. Are you hearing me? I'm talking about faith to reach beyond. 
And many of you, you know, many believers, many individuals, members of this church, you've experienced various kinds of apathy. You know what apathy is? Apathy is loss of expectation. Apathy simply has accepted that God's not going to do anything else. And so why should I waste my breath trying to get him to? Apathy and religiosity are twins. Apathetic believers are religious to the core. No more expectation. You want to talk about the holiness of God? You are never so acutely aware of the holiness of God as you are when you begin to expect him to do something different. The word holy means different. Now, how can you say you believe in a holy God when you expect him to do the same old, same old? We come to church and we say, you are holy. You're not going to show us, but we know you are somewhere in the in the heavens. You're holy. But Isaiah said, great is the holy one of Israel among us. He's holy among us. He's great and he's holy in the midst of us. And that means he's getting ready to do something different. Tonight, I want you to begin to expect God to do something that goes beyond your previous experience. Something you've never experienced before. And there's the problem, is it? Because we're so guarded. I'm afraid God's going to take me out of my my previous experience. I'm afraid God's going to do something that I haven't experienced. Listen, I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm longing for God to take me beyond my past experience. I'm tired of eating yesterday's manna. I'm tired of living on yesterday's bread. I want something new tonight. Are you hungry for God to take you to another place tonight? I want you to stand on your feet right now. Lift up your hands to heaven. You need to be filled with the power of God tonight. And what I mean by filled with the power of God is you need that power that's on the inside of you to manifest. You need the bubble up and overflow of everything that God's put on the inside of you. You need it. I need it. I need it. God wants to take you beyond where you've been. Forget about yesterday. Yesterday's ceiling is today's ground floor. Forget about yesterday. Forget about yesterday. Forget about yesterday. Forget those things which are behind. I don't care if it's a, if it was good, bad, or ugly. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's yesterday. Yesterday's gone. His mercies are new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but they're new every morning. Specifically right now, if you're here, you have not received the gift of tongues. You want to manifest, you want that gift of tongues, you want to stir that up. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know the Holy Spirit lives in you, but you want to see the gift of tongues manifest in your life. Come to this altar right now. We're going to lay some hands. I believe God to do it. I believe God to do it. I be- Come on up, come on up, come on up, come on up. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's a couple more. Come on up, come on up, come on up. Good, good. Now everybody else, open your mouth and begin to pray in tongues right now. Just you here at this altar, I want you to pray out loud. You don't have to you don't have to shout or anything. But the scripture says they spoke in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to believe that God is going to give you the utterance tonight. I want you to believe that as you speak to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to overwhelm your speaking. He's going to well up on the inside of you and he's going to overwhelm your speaking. Come on, just begin to pray it right now. Just begin to pray it right now. I need some of the pastors just to come and lay your hands on these at the altar. Just stand behind them. Lay your hands on them and just begin for that, the release and the out, overflow. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's coming right now. The fire of God, the fire of God is falling on you right now. Father, release the power of the Holy Spirit. Release the gift of tongues right now. 
Release it in the name of Jesus. Release it in the name of Jesus. Release it. Come on, go after it. 